I'm just a messenger today, and I, 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 I come to the altar in, in, tre- uh, in fear and trembling, because <clears throat> if it wasn't for Jesus, none of us would have been redeemed by the blood of the Lamb. If it wasn't for Jesus going to the cross, taking our places, um, we would be lost. We would be lost. So let it be known that this is a house of worship, this is a house of praise, and there's only one who is worthy of of our praise and of our worship, and that is Jesus Christ, the Lord of Lords. Thank you, Brother Mario, for leading us this morning. Um, It's a blessing when we have leaders in our community who are also leaders here in the church, Oftentimes, we can, we can find a, a divide uh, between the church and the workplace. But where God has called men and women to lead in the community, he's also called the same to lead in his house. Amen? I want to welcome those who are here for the very first time. I could not help but remark that God is working and God is up to something. If you are here for the very first time, raise your hand. Go ahead and raise your hand and hold it up. God bless you, sister. God bless you, brother and sister. God bless you, sister. Was there somebody else over here in the corner section, I believe? God bless you as well. We want to welcome you to Mission. We've been here serving the Lord faithfully for the last 64 years in this community. And the Lord continues to work through us. I think um, Brother Danny's uh, words were apropos in uh, shedding light on the fact that we have come a long way in these last three years. And God is re- rebuilding his people. He's rebuilding us. He's rebuilding the body of Christ, not only in our nation, but all over the world. Some things have changed. But our God never changes. His word never changes. And he will continue to be the faithful God that he has always been. Amen. We continue our study in the book of Romans this week. If you turn with me, please, to Romans chapter 6. This week and next week, we'll teach on Romans 6. And then we're going to spend about four weeks leading to the passion narrative of Christ. That is... The betrayal, the persecution, crucifixion, and the resurrection of our Lord. And so we'll be teaching seven lessons between Sundays and Wednesdays, beginning in two weeks. I just want you to know so that you know how to plant. Um, We'll be following the Lenten season, Christian calendar during those those teachings and those, those sermons. And so I just want to give you a sneak peek as to what we're doing. We're also very excited for those who will be attending our new members class today. Um, when we say new members, we're not talking about gym membership. We're not talking about the perks that come with being a member in our church. We're speaking of what it means to be a member in the body of Christ 
a fruitful member within the body of Christ and simply how God has called us into that relationship in service to our Lord. How many of you know that serving the Lord comes with a commitment? It comes with a devotion to Jesus. Salvation is free. And salvation is made possible by Jesus because he shed his blood for you and me. But in order for us to understand what repentance means and that we've invited Jesus to come into our lives and that we've accepted the forgiveness of sin and our our own sin and have allowed Jesus to take our place, we now come into a life of obedience. And that life of obedience It means something different from salvation. If you're new in the faith and you're learning how to follow Jesus and walk with him and to become a disciple of Jesus, you're probably still parsing through what it means to be saved by grace through faith and then what it means to be a part of the living, physical expression, which is the church, and how the church can be faithful to that call and faithful to that relationship with God, and how we in the church have to understand how the Word of God then leads us into a life of obedience, helping us to grow in that relationship with God the Father. Amen? Amen. I'd like to now transition into the Word of God, and by a show of hands, if you have been walking with Jesus for less than three years, would you raise your hand? For less than three years, raise your hand. Raise it high. We have a handful of people over here, right here in the middle, over here to our left. There's, there's several people that have been walking with Jesus for less than three years. Anybody between three and ten years, raise your hand. Raise your hand. Raise your hand. You've been following Jesus now for the, next, for, for the last three to ten years. Look at that, about another 20 folks or so. And raise your hand if you've been walking with the Lord for ten plus years. Go ahead, raise your hand. Amen. You may put your hands down. This is not so that we somehow earn some kind of stripes for wherever we, we are in our walk with Jesus. For the Bible tells us that we're all at the same place at the foot of the cross. But for the purposes of us as a body and understanding where our people are and what is needed in the house, wanted to be able to gauge um, our growth, our understanding, and our knowledge in the Word of God. You see, because the Bible tells me that Jesus spent about three years with his disciples. Somebody say three years. And if Jesus spent the majority of those three years with his disciples, that means close to a thousand days, Jesus was in fellowship and in communion with those that were closest to him, that he handpicked and called to be a part of that group. A thousand days under the tutelage, under the mentorship, under the discipleship, if I can use that word. It's a word that the church has made up. We created that. About a thousand days that the disciples 
dined with Jesus, cried with Jesus, celebrated with Jesus, ministered with Jesus, walked with Jesus, and had to deny the things of the flesh and the things of the world. In other words, the disciples were walking with the very word for a, a thousand days before he left them physically. Many of us who have been growing in our relationship with the Lord are learning how to use the Bible. Some of us who have known the Lord for a long time scarcely even pick up the Bible. Maybe even others of us, and I'm not just talking about mission, I'm talking about Christians. Take the pastor's word for it. Come to church on Sunday, open the Bible, read the passage, study the passage, leave, and do not return back to the Bible to have fellowship with Jesus in the word or to continue to learn in the word on our own. And so what that means is, although some of us have given our life to Christ for for a certain period of time, it doesn't mean that there is any significant growth in our life or fruit in our life that is demonstrated by the fact that we have been saved by the blood of the Lamb, redeemed by the work of Christ, and have now understood what it means and what the cost is in following Jesus. And so my encouragement to us today is to spend time in the Word, to spend time in prayer if you want to grow. If you're not growing, we're missing out on a whole lot. And so we have to take spiritual inventory as to how we are continuing to grow. The Bible says where your treasure is, there your heart will be. So how we spend our time and how we commit ourselves to the Lord and fellowship with him will show us where our hearts are. Is that understood? Is that understood? Is it clear? Amen. In Romans chapter 6, we're going to unpack some things today related to doctrine. Doctrine meaning teaching. And teaching gives us understanding and it gives us knowledge and in order that we might have the power to live the kind of victorious life that God desires us to have. In order for two people, two parties to get to know one another, you have to spend time with one another. You got to talk. You got to engage in conversation so that we can have understanding. Two people scarcely get married if they've never talked, if they've never conversed. They must get to know one another. They must get to know one another's convictions and beliefs. They must get to know one another's heart. Their desires. I remember when my wife and I, Pastor Boomy and I, were, were courting. We were dating. We, in, we looked forward to having times to have fellowship. And getting to know one another. And talking and, 
and having, you know, good, hard discussions before we were taking the next step in our relationship. There were, there were points of, of testing or proving in order to demonstrate that we were both committed to the same goals in life and that we would actually be able to do those things together in marriage. And here we are 20 years later, three children later, being able to give validation to God's faithfulness and to the Holy Spirit's guidance in our lives as to his, his will for us and his plan and his purpose for us as a marriage, as a, as a couple, as a family. And here we are serving the Lord together faithfully. And I give God all the glory and all the praise because of it. And I share those things, yes, to celebrate God's faithfulness in our marriage, but only to demonstrate and illustrate the significance of the relationship that God must have with his people and that God's people must have with him through his son, Jesus Christ. Romans 6, beginning in verse 1. All the way to 14, and then next week we're going to pick up in verse 15. What shall we say then, the Apostle Paul asks? Shall we go on sinning so that grace may increase? By no means. We die to sin. How can we live in it any longer? Or don't you know that all of us who were baptized into Jesus Christ, were baptized into his death. We were therefore buried with him through baptism into death in order that just as Christ was raised from the dead through the glory of the Father, we too may live a new life. Somebody say a new life. If we've been united with him like this in his death, we will certainly also be united with him in his resurrection. For we know that our old self was crucified with him so that the body of sin might be done away with, that we should no longer be slaves to sin because anyone who has died has been freed from sin. Somebody say, I've been set free. Been set free. Hallelujah. Now, if we died with Christ, we believe that we will also live with him. For we know that since Christ was raised from the dead, he cannot die again. Death no longer has mastery over him. The death he died, he died to sin once for all. But the life he lives, he lives to God. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin but alive to God in Christ Jesus Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Let me read this again. This might be helpful for us. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body, or this flesh, so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. 
For sin shall not be your master, because you are not under law, but under grace. Let us pray. Father God, we thank you for your word. And we ain't just playing church today, Father God. Lord, we desire that your word transforms us, that it changes us, that it actually causes us, Lord Jesus, to bring about a greater understanding, a greater commitment to you because of what Jesus has done. So, Lord, I pray today that you would teach us about what it means to be dead to sin but alive in Christ. Help us to tap into that power, that spiritual power, So that we, Lord Jesus, can overcome temptation. So that we can understand your heart. So that we might bear fruit. Open our minds. Open our hearts. Open our spiritual eyes. That we might see wonderful things in your law today. We pray these things in Jesus' name. And everyone said... Amen. Give God a hand of praise today, mission. The Bible says in Hosea chapter 4, verse 6, my people die for lack of knowledge. Or it says my people are destroyed for lack of knowledge. And that is so true. That's why today we're going to go through the word and we're going to talk about some things that Paul highlights for us, and we're going to give some names to these things. We're going to give some names to these things in order that it might keep us as the body of Christ focused on God's heart and his desire. Amen? The first point I wanted to highlight today is this. That sin no longer has mastery over us. For the believer, it is important, it is crucial for us to understand that we no longer have to give permission for sin to reign in our lives, to have mastery over us. We don't have to live a defeated life. We're not hopeless. We're not helpless. But God has given us strength and God has given us power to overcome the challenges that we face in our, in our world. And it's not just so that we will overcome the problems or the challenges or the issues that we face on a regular basis. It's so also on the positive side that we will begin to be fruitful in the body of Christ. He doesn't just want us to overcome the negativity, but he wants us to become partners with him in the kingdom. Partners with him in the spirit. In the spirit. Now, if there's anybody who understands the natural and the spiritual and how it's all supposed to come together, it's Jesus himself. Jesus who was God and Jesus who is man. 
Jesus understood the challenges that we face. And that is why Jesus could not let go of the fellowship that he had with the Father. He took it very seriously. There was so much, so much reverence in Jesus, and he demonstrated it all through the scriptures when we see how he talked about that relationship with the Father. That respect that Jesus the Son had with the Father. The reverence that Jesus had with the Father. And the way Jesus revered as well the Word of God and, and elevated the Word of God in his life. Being the express image and very Word of God, Jesus himself still allowed the Word of God to speak to his life. Amen? So we see here that Paul is, is saying to the church at Rome... Hey, guess what? If you didn't know, now you know. Once you give your life to Jesus, you no longer have to remain in the same place that you were, even yesterday, even today. The moment you invite Jesus to come into your life, it should bring about change at that moment. Oh, how, did, how is that possible? How do I all of a sudden go from being... One person one day to then being a new person the next day. How do I all of a sudden change? Paul talks about this later on in chapter 12, this process of metamorphosis. He talks about, he uses that word, transforming. Like a caterpillar into a butterfly. So how does that work with the how does that work for us? Some of us young Christians are trying to still get our legs under us and still trying to figure it out. Guess what? You're not going to get your legs under you and you're not going to figure it out by just coming to church only on Sundays and receiving the word of God. You got to put some of your own time. You got to put your own effort. You got to put your own dedication and commitment in it. You got to demonstrate to yourself and to God that you are ready for that change. Because it's not going to happen on its own. And the work of the Holy Spirit in your life, once you invite Jesus to come into your heart, it is just the process of the Holy Spirit beginning to speak to you and you being in conversation and in communication with the Lord through his spirit that now lives in you. So back to that question. How do we... Now begin to live a new life. You know, some folks were raised in the church. Some folks raised in the word of God. Some of us scarcely knew a day outside of a relationship with God. You know, when I look back on my life, I can't even remember a day where I actually gave my life to Christ. Because I was raised in the church. And I was raised with the faith that was instilled in me. And with the seed of faith always being there. I remember the day I was baptized. I was 12 years old. It was when my parents got me this Bible. It's very, this same Bible right here. Has the date inside. July 15, 1991. My dad wrote Summertime. That was the day that I was baptized. That doesn't mean that that was the day I got saved. Being saved and being baptized are two different things. 
Someone doesn't receive their salvation once they're baptized. One receives their salvation when they invite Jesus to come into their life. They believe that Jesus is God, that he died on the cross and rose again in three days, according to Romans chapter 10. Apostle Paul says that person now receives salvation after the confession of their mouth and the belief in their heart as to who Jesus is. That's when you receive your salvation. Being baptized is a demonstration of salvation that has taken place. And some people believe that you only receive your salvation once you're baptized. If you're not water baptized, then you ain't saved. Well, guess what? There are very... there. Are, Lots of instances that we can look to in Scripture where that is not the case. doesn't mean that everybody is going to always find their way to a body of water where they can be immersed in water. Similar to the thief on the cross with Christ. He put his trust in Jesus. He says, surely you are the Son of God. He says, Jesus said, truly, truly, you shall be with me today in paradise. So we see that it's important for us as Christians to understand these, these important things of doctrine, of teaching, of understanding. Because when you have understanding, when you have doctrine, when you, have, when you know the rules of engagement, when you know the rules of the, the spiritual things of God, then guess what? Then we, we know where the boundaries are. We know that how we can express ourselves wonderfully, fully in our relationship with God. And there is freedom there. There's freedom and there is Liberty, when we understand what God demands. Because now, now we can operate in that freedom. And we, can, we know we're, we're operating outside the bounds of freedom. And, then, and we, we're, we're skating on thin ice, so to speak. I don't know if you've ever heard that saying. It means we're playing with danger. We're playing with fire. The second thing that I wanted to point out now... Now that we've established that we no longer have to be mastered by sin because of what Jesus did. Jesus is the one that has given you the power now to overcome sin. Let's see now why and how. My next point says, the believer is buried with Christ in the tomb and resurrected with him also. So Paul demonstrates right here in the passage that we just read that once you give your life to Jesus, he's given you new life. And that is a blessing. And he demonstrates that in the Passion narrative. At the cross is where he was crucified. And where he was crucified, his physical body saw death, experienced death. And three days later, the Bible says that he rose again. He was resurrected. So for you, it doesn't mean that you and I need to go die a physical death. So for you and I, in the faith, it means that it's a spiritual death and it's a spiritual life. It's a spiritual death and it's a spiritual rebirth. Jesus talks with Nicodemus in the Gospel of John, chapter 3. The Gospel is the last Gospel that was written about the birth, life, ministry, death, resurrection of Jesus. 
And so in John chapter 3, Jesus explains to Nicodemus, who was a Pharisee or teacher of the law, you can call him a lawyer, who came to Jesus at night because he wanted to learn from Jesus and get things straight before he made a serious commitment to becoming a disciple, a follower of Jesus Christ, and a defector from the old Jewish way. He was a Pharisee. It means he was one of the highest ranking Jews of that day and age. He was a man of influence. He was considering the costs. And he sat down and he says, how can one receive eternal life? And Jesus says, you must be born again. He's, Nicodemus asked, how is one born again? And Jesus said, it is not a physical rebirth. It's a what? It's a what? Spiritual. It doesn't mean that we're not going to experience suffering in the world. Suffering will come. And there are different kinds of death that we're going to experience. Death in relationships, trouble, tribulation, trial. And those are things that the Lord allows to come into our lives in order to chastise, in order to discipline, in order to grow us. Stay right there. If you're on the crucible of faith and you're going through it right now, hang on tight. Trust God's plan in your life. He's allowing you to go through this situation because he wants to bring forth a greater fruit. You can't cook with olive oil unless the olives have been crushed and they produced oil. That's what Gethsemane means in the Garden of Gethsemane. It's, it's a place of crushing. Gethsemane was the place where Jesus sought the Father, asking for the cup to be removed for him so he didn't have to die for our sin. But the Father God, Father, Father God was silent. He did not respond. And Jesus said, if there's any other way, take this cup. He says... Essentially, there is no other way. You must take this cup. And so we understand that we too share in the sufferings of Christ. Just because we give our life to Jesus doesn't mean that everything is always going to be perfect. So we experience this spiritual death. Thank God it's a spiritual death. But what is the spiritual death? It means that we are now the old man, the old woman is now dead. That we are dead to sin. Somebody say, I am dead to sin. Say, I am no longer a slave to sin. Jesus has given me the victory. So you guys, guess what? We don't have to allow sin to reign in our lives. It no longer has mastery over us. And after we are dead to sin, just like Jesus was dead on the cross and went into the tomb, we now are reborn spiritually. That's called rebirth. That's called being born again. That's if you put your trust in Jesus. It doesn't just happen on its own. It's a conscious decision. It's, it's one having their mind made up that they believe in God through Jesus Christ, and they are now ready to accept who Jesus is and what he has done. It's not just who Jesus is, but it's also accepting what he has done. It's everything that there is to know about Jesus. That is what we are receiving. That is what we are accepting. So then it brings power. 
And for those of us who are students of the word, you need to understand that this is called regeneration. You might want to write that down. Regeneration means that you are regenerated spiritually. That yes, there is a new birth. Yes, something new just happened. You have become a new creation. Paul also talks about this in 2 Corinthians chapter 5, verse 17, where he says, Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away, and all things become what? New. new. See, the old things, the old me, the old you, the old us, we used to fight and argue a certain way. Married couples, we don't do that anymore. We can't afford to do that anymore because that was before Christ. But after Christ, the Lord has given us a different way to work it out. A different way to argue without resorting to weapons of mass destruction. Can I hear an amen? amen. So this process of regeneration is, means that spiritually speaking, when Christ is now born in us and we become new, we're regenerated. Kind of like that one movie called The Terminator. Remember, The Terminator couldn't be stopped? Every time they tried to, like, kill him, he just, like, grew another arm. He's like, just like a lizard. Just like a lizard regenerates its tail once it loses it it grows it back man I wish we could do that huh well spiritually we can it's a whole new you it's not just an arm it's not just a leg it's not just an ear it's a completely new you spiritually when Christ makes your heart his home we are regenerated and just like we can be regenerated guess what there's also degeneration when we begin to lend our parts, our bodies, our mind to sin or evil. That's called degeneration. That means we are backsliding. It means we are spiritually falling apart. It means we are struggling in the faith. It means that we are now beginning to walk in disobedience. It means that we are starting to break fellowship with God. It means that our relationship is on the rocks. It means that if something doesn't change, we may not make it. And regeneration, this process of God giving us a new, a new man, a new woman, we're becoming that. We experience salvation. Salvation comes when somebody renounces their sin and they put their trust in Jesus. And as scripture tells us, we receive eternal life. Amen? It leads to our next point of explaining why water baptism is significant then for the believer. Water baptism is considered a commandment of Jesus. You can call it an ordinance. Some call it a sacrament because it is one of the, the sacred things that a believer can do in keeping with the commandment that Jesus 
gave us to be baptized following his example. We know that Jesus was not baptized for the repentance of sin because he, he was not a sinful man. But Jesus joined in the act of water baptism, demonstrating for us an act of obedience. In other words, water baptism is an outward or physical expression of an inward or eternal truth that is taking place in the person. Can I hear an amen? So water baptism is something, you guys, that we do demonstrating to the whole world and committing our life to God just like I committed my life to Pastor Boomy and she to me right here on this altar 20 years ago when we said I do. Being baptized mean, means that it is my, my time and, and, and I am ready to follow him and to commit my life to him. I'm, I'm ready to walk with Jesus. And that does come with some commitments. It does come with breaking from the norm that maybe we grew up with or maybe we are the product of a certain upbringing or a certain background, or maybe there's some things that took place that gave new meaning to the things that God gave original meaning, and we don't any longer think that God's original meaning over his natural intent and meaning for life and things like marriage, that they're no longer important. No. You give your life to Jesus, you're ready to walk with him, Hey, you're not married, you're living together, get married. That's just an example. You ready to follow Jesus? You're being baptized? You want to grow? Hey, guess what? If we're not tithing, hey, tithing is one of those expressions unto God demonstrating our love and our thanksgiving to him. Because it is a biblical mandate for us that demonstrates the fruit in our lives. Oh, it's not that easy, pastor. Oh, yeah, I know it's not that easy. I know it's hard. Want to know what else was hard? There he was. That was hard. We don't got to do that physically, do we? Do we? But spiritually we do. And the spiritual is what gives us the ability and the license to no longer be mastered by sin. Instead, we can live in freedom and in obedience and begin to master the spiritual. So that when we know and we, we start learning the word of God and our pastors do their jobs and our teachers do their jobs and our Sunday school teachers do their jobs and the body of Christ, we do our jobs and we have conversations with people that matter and we have discussions with people that matter and actually go below the surface level and actually talk about things that can bring change in one's life, then guess what? That is when you and I are starting to live in the sweet spot of faith spiritually. Oh yeah. 
Jesus spent a whole lot of time with sinners, the Bible says, and, and tax collectors and people that, that, that were, that were uh, disapproved of by the church, shunned by the religious people. But Jesus wasn't just there being a willing party to their grave, was he? What did he do? He talked. He pointed them to the Father. He talked about eternal life. He talked about repentance. And repentance is another thing that we need to understand. We need to understand that original sin is important for us as the church to, to recognize and to understand because that for us is going to make a whole lot of things clear if we get it straight in the beginning. That we are all sinful. We, re, we all remain sinful, living in this flesh and living in this world. But the Bible says spiritually we're not of this world. We don't belong to this world. We belong to God. We belong to a new kingdom. We have a new king. We have a new way of life. We have a new way of living. Can I hear an amen? amen. Isn't it great how the knowledge that God gives us allows us to live in freedom? It's power for the believer. And it's foolishness to the unbeliever. So if you think that what we're teaching and what we're talking about is foolishness, then we may have to start questioning whether or not we're actually saved or not. I'm going to rip that page out of the Bible. Oh, you didn't, you didn't say that when you were at the altar saying I do. Oh, yeah, you know, but we had a few exceptions. Oh, yeah? Let's see what she, what she says about it. It's the same thing. It's time for us to step up our game. Maybe the Lord is bringing us through a time or a season of chastisement for a reason. Maybe the Lord brought us through a pandemic because he had to chastise the church. Maybe we've had to go through things in our own spiritual lives because God is trying to produce a greater result, a greater harvest, and a greater fruit that requires a greater level of obedience and commitment to him. Athletes want to play in the game, but, you know, some don't want to go to practice. No, sir. So this water baptism, this ordinance, this commandment that Jesus actually did is demonstrated to us. I, I, I really like the, the story of Philip and the Ethiopian eunuch in Acts chapter 8. There's this man from Ethiopia, very rich man, man of prestige and influence. He, he served in the, in the palace of Ethiopia. He's sitting in a chariot, and he's, he's reading through the scroll of Isaiah in the Old Testament. And Philip happens to be walking by, and he looks over, and he sees this Ethiopian, this man, this educated man, full of all kind of worldly knowledge, he comes and he says, do you understand what you're reading? He says, actually, I'd love for you to explain a little bit more. So Philip pulls over, stops what he was doing, explains to him what it actually means, what salvation is, what water baptism is. If you want to go get baptized, he says, let's go. They go and get baptized right then and there. Ain't that awesome? Jesus does the same. We got a little, a little pictorial we want to put up right now just to give us a little graphic, a little image of, of what 
water baptism is. And look at it's our death and burial and then resurrection with Christ, bringing us into a new life. And, and kind of a reason why I don't want to just simplify it and make it as easy as this and say, okay, let's just move on, is because I don't want our faith to just be symbols and icons and pictures and metaphors. I want these things to actually take a spiritual root so that they bring about physical change. Sorry. You guys, what Jesus did on the cross was no joke. It was no tomfoolery. The spiritual truth that took place in your life when you gave your life to Jesus has got to bring about new, new life, new choices, new friends. And that's why water baptism is so important for the church, for the believers. Because also, it's a litmus test for the church to see if we're preaching the gospel correctly. If we as a church are producing fruit or reduplicating ourselves. If we're making disciples, according to Jesus' commandment in Matthew chapter 28, 19, which says, Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit. So if people aren't getting baptized and people aren't getting saved and if people aren't getting baptized in the Holy Spirit, and guess what? We as the church are not actually doing what God has called us to do. And so we have to go back and actually be very critical about what we're teaching, what we're preaching. We got to look at the things that we're saying, the things that we're doing and how we're living to see if we're continuing to produce fruit in the kingdom of God. And if I want to say that for the church, I want to say that for us individually as well. This should be a hard test and a question for each and every one of us. Every good coach should challenge his players in order to get the best out of them. And that's what God's trying to do in us. Now I'm just the assistant coach. And we're talking X's and O's. You can't be productive at work unless you know your job, unless you have a job description, unless you know what you're supposed to do in order that you can produce, in order that you can move up, you can get promoted, you can be um, recognized and be a productive employee of the workplace. If you don't know your job, how can you be productive? If you haven't gone through training, how can you then be effective? Can I hear an amen? Here we have the word of God, and we have Jesus' life as a testament. Testament means that blood was shed in order to demonstrate a greater truth. That's what testament means. Finally, my last point, we should no longer partner with sin. Look what it says in the scripture right here. Chapter 6. Starting in verse 11. You want to, let's read that together. In the same way, count yourselves dead to sin, but alive to God in Christ Jesus. Therefore, do not let sin reign in your mortal body so that you obey its evil desires. Do not offer the parts of your body to sin as instruments of wickedness, but rather offer yourselves to God 
as those who have been brought from death to life and offer the parts of your body to him as instruments of righteousness. The Greek word here is hoplon. Everybody say hoplon. Hoplon means an instrument for warfare. So if we're lending our hands, our eyes, our ears, our body parts, I don't want to get too graphic. If we're lending the things of our flesh and our body, our carnal body, if we're lending it in order to bring about sin, then that means we are producing fruitfulness in the spirit of darkness. In the kingdom of darkness, we are lending our body in order to partner with Satan. We're partnering with evil, and that is why we have to constantly suffer the consequences of our actions because we have lent this body. We have given our body as an instrument to darkness. But because of what Jesus has done, we no longer have to allow that to be the case. We have to say, no, I will not partner with you any longer, Satan. I'm going to dedicate, I'm going to consecrate my body, my mind, my spirit, my soul unto God. And I'm going to partner with the spiritual. I'm going to partner with the kingdom of God. I'm going to partner with Jesus. I'm going to let Jesus reign in my life. I'm going to let Jesus have mastery in my life. I want Jesus to produce righteousness in my life. Oh, there's people out here that have represented Jesus in the world. There's people out here that have talked people out of suicide. There are people over here that have talked people out of critical moments and critical situations in order to bring about repentance in their life. Oh, there are some of us here that are continuing to, to speak on behalf of Jesus to this dying world to let them know that there is hope and that they don't have to die in hopelessness, in despair, and in their sin. Because sin is eternal, just as salvation. Death is eternal, just as salvation is eternal. And it's a spiritual transaction that manifests itself in the physical, in the flesh, in the natural. But the spiritual is greater than the flesh. Good wins. God wins. God wins. The story ends the same way all the time. God wins. And that is why we as believers can live in victory. That's why we can pre prevail in Christ. How many of us want to prevail in Christ? Hallelujah. Give God a hand of praise today. So instead of using our bodies, our flesh, and partnering with sin, we no longer have to be instruments or weapons of Carnality, we now use our bodies as instruments or weapons of spiritual warfare in the kingdom of God. Understanding and mastering the spiritual life in Christ by the power of the Holy Spirit is what Paul is aiming to get us to understand. He's aiming to get the church at Rome to understand these things. He's giving them the spiritual truths in order to bring them into alignment with our Heavenly Father. Amen? Hallelujah. So get ready. We're going from milk to meat. For some. For some, we're going from chicken to turkey.
For some, we're going hamburger to filet mignon, Kobe steak. God's going to bring great fruit in your life, in your life, in your life. He's already doing it. He's already doing it. Amen. Good morning, everybody. My name is Albert. And earlier today, well, this morning when the service was getting started, I just felt the presence of God and I just started to weep. And I didn't know what he was asking of me, but I knew that he was asking something. And it wasn't until he gave me revelation as to what it is that he wanted to tell his people that I was bold enough to go ahead and approach the pastor and express to him what it is that I was feeling and what it is that the Lord was placing on my heart to tell his people. The Lord sees your struggle. The Lord sees my struggle. He knows that what we're going through. And this is what he told me. He says that the weapons that we fight are not the weapons of this world. Amen. He says, on the contrary, they have divine power to demolish strongholds. We demolish arguments and every pretension that sets itself up against the knowledge of God. And we take every captive thought and make it obedient to Christ. So God knows your struggles. And all he's saying is that get on your knees and pray and surrender everything to God. Like God, I am weak. And not only does he see your struggle, but he sees my struggle as well. The only thing is, is that I fight my battles on my knees because I know that I serve the only one that can see me through whatever it is that I'm going through. So he sees you as well. And he wants you to just take heart and be strong in your faith and don't give up on him. Do not give up on him because he's there with you just like he's there with me. God bless you. I receive that word. We receive that word. Thank you, Brother Albert, for being obedient. I believe the Holy Spirit has spoken today about us using his weapons, our, our hands, our feet, our mouth, our eyes, our ears, our minds. Oh, the mind is a terrible thing to waste. We use them all for his glory.